0: Hello and welcome to Exploring Cherokee History. My name is Kristen Mosier and I'm the Cultural Collections and Exhibits Manager for Cherokee Nation Cultural Tourism. Today we're going to be exploring the new two-part exhibit from Talking Leaves to Pixels on display at the Cherokee National Prison Museum and the Cherokee National Supreme Court Museum. This exhibit was originally on display at the Cherokee Heritage Center in 2015, but it was updated and adapted to a new format as part of the Cherokee Nation's syllabary bicentennial. We have with us today the author of the original exhibit, Roy Boney, Jr., Cherokee Language Programs Manager. Roy, thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Yeah, see you. I'm glad to be here today.
0: Roy, what can you tell me about the origins of the original exhibit and what the driving force was behind creating the original exhibit?
1: Yeah, well, the the concept for the exhibit came from the years of work that the language programs had been doing with uh the like uh, language technology at the time so the the department was working with google and microsoft and apple uh to ensure that uh, all the all of their uh, platforms and devices would be supportive of the cherokee writing system so as we did that it required you know a lot of research over the years to figure out you know what elements we needed to make that successful and so you know we had to show these companies you know historical documents and things showing the variations of the syllabary as they evolved through time and to show that it was a very a viable writing system. So we had to go through all these archives and dig up these you know, really interesting documents and pieces of history so we could not only show them, but also learn ourselves what we were doing in, this, in terms of this evolution of how the writing system uh, adapted to all the various technologies. So at the end of the, all of this, once everything kind of came together, the Cherokee Heritage Center director, Dr. Tehe asked us to uh, come up with an exhibit uh, uh, that displays the syllabary from its origins to where it came in terms of the technology. And so they asked me if I would curate the show, and I had never done such a thing, but I decided I would just go ahead and jump right into it.
0: Roy, can you tell me what the difference is between a syllabary and an alphabet and why the Cherokee language is considered a syllabary?
1: Yeah, there's a common misconception, especially in the historical record. They often call sil- uh, sequoias invention in an in alphabet. They say the Cherokee alphabet. It's actually a, a syllabary, which means uh, instead in an alphabet, like the English alphabet, you have consonants and vowels. And then uh, but you can combine them in the words and the sounds. But in the Cherokee syllabary, you, all the syllables, as they're called, they represent a sound, so like a, a syllabic sound if you combine a, a constant of vowel together you get a, that that type of sound like uh, for example there's the sound ga which combines you know the g sound with the aw sound so you get ga so that's a syllable but uh, the cherokee syllabary also has a few characters that aren't uh, that follow that model so some people call it a modified syllabary sometimes so we have six vowel sounds too and we have an s sound that just makes this so those other characters kind of make it unique in that sense. So it's not a total syllabary, but the idea is still there.
0: What was it like to meet with companies such as Google and Apple to adapt a language that had originally been a very elegant cursive style writing into something that would need to use digital formats?
1: Well, the you know, the idea of why we wanted to do this type of work was uh, we had the Cherokee Language Immersion School. And we wanted the students there to have access to their language on computers and laptops, which at that point, this was the early 2000s, they sort of did, but the technology wasn't consistent across the board. So you had to ensure that every single uh, computer had the same setup, and that was you know difficult to do. And if you got outside the, the network or the system, you couldn't guarantee the people in the community had the same setup as well. So... Uh, there's a technology called Unicode which unifies how written languages are displayed on computer systems. So in the mid 90s, Durban filling and Dr. Gloria Sly uh, made an application to the Unicode consortium to make sure the Cherokee language was included in that digital Unicode system. It wasn't until about the year 2000 that it was formally uh, finalized by the Unicode consortium. So when it happened, uh, it slowly trickled out to the Cherokee uh, community, the Cherokee language community to, to start using uh, the syllabary on the computers. But what happened at that point was uh, new things like new fonts had to be made, new keyboard inputs and that type of stuff all had to be uh, reconfigured for this new technology. So you know, Cherokee Nation has always had pretty good relationships with uh, like Microsoft and Apple because they, as a government entity, they use a lot of the products. So we were fortunate that we had connections there so we asked their basically their sales teams of can we talk to them about how can we get the cherokee language into their systems and they they were very open to the idea and even going back further if you look at the history of uh, computers themselves uh, the earliest apple macintosh computers uh, you know steve jobs who you founded apple wanted to include a cherokee font on those because he was really fascinated by yeah Calligraphy and that kind of thing. So at one point he had commissioned a typographer to make a Cherokee font for the early Macintosh computers It didn't actually make it to the system at that point, but later on it would Uh, So that shows there is that interest in the Cherokee writing system from then till now So it was very interesting to actually going in to meet these executives that asked them to include our language And you know, they had that they were already aware of it. So, you know, they were already fascinated by it So it wasn't a very hard sell
0: so what is the current state of the Cherokee language, both in its written form and its spoken form?
1: Well, the uh, Cherokee language is classified as, as an endangered language. Uh, that means, you know, there's no one basically under 40 that's fluent in the language anymore. Uh, the writing system is still used and it's in a similar situation where uh, most literate Cherokees are, you know, in 50 and up. So Cherokee Nation is engaged in a very uh, Aggressive, you know, language revitalization program to make sure that we don't lose either the written form or the spoken form.
0: Roy, what can you tell me about the future of the syllabary or future endeavors with adapting the syllabary to new technologies?
1: Well, the syllabary, you know, as I've been talking about has evolved from, you know, cursive to printing press to typewriters to word processing to, you know, uh, desktop publishing to texting. Now, where we are, we have social media uh, you can do uh, make your blog post in Cherokee. You can do Facebook posts in Cherokee. But I think the next step in terms of where the, the silver is going to go is uh, yeah, if we are successful in keeping our spoken language and our written language, we're going to be moving into you know more interactive realms of technology. So we're going to have you know maybe virtual reality, or we're going to have some programming languages in, that can support the Cherokee language. Uh, the syllabary is going to be there re- right along with it.
0: Roy, do you have a favorite part or a favorite thing that you discovered when you were working on the research for the exhibit?
1: Yeah, one of the uh, misconceptions I think the public has sometimes is that we only had one printing press. They read about the history of the Cherokee Phoenix newspaper being made and everyone kind of assumes that was it. But the Cherokee Nation had many printing presses throughout the 19th century because just like any other piece of machinery they'd wear out. Uh, and they had to order different pieces of type a lot. So uh, back in the 19th century, Boston was a, a center of, you know it, they were known for making typesets and that type of thing. So there were many orders that went from Cherokee Nation to the Boston area to create a Cherokee typeset. Eventually they were able to make it in Indian territory. But uh, you know, when you look at the, uh, you can tell if you look closely at all the publications, you can see, Uh, Almost every time they had to order a new set of uh, type for the printing presses, you can see there were slight modifications made to some of the characters. So, when you're looking at some of these old documents or books or whatever, if you're well versed in the uh, history of it, you can kind of tell what era or what year that book might have been printed if there's no date on it, because you can tell by the the syllabary shapes that are in it. An example is uh, the Do character. Early on, it looked like it, it was inverted. So it looks like a pyramid almost, you know, with the, the sharp points on top. But now it's the other way. So it looks like a V. Uh, at a certain point, that was flipped. So uh, it wouldn't be confused with the character Go in the syllabary. So you can tell when they, maybe what year that publication might have been from, if it was post this year or pre that year. So a lot of that kind of things, ha- that those sort of identifiers show up in the various uh, syllabary characters. Another one is the uh, they, which looks like an S with two bars sticking out of it. Uh, that character kind of evolved through the time too, so every time they had to get a new set of type, that character would change slightly. So again, it's kind of like a visual clue if you're a detective, I guess, you're looking, when was this made? You can look at the writing of it and kind of discern when it might've been printed.
0: That's so interesting. and. In adapting it from, you know, the, the printing press and from using the manual typesets to developing it into a more digital format, were there other adaptations that had to be made to syllabary characters or was that not as much of an issue anymore?
1: Well, the, the cool thing about it is you know, when you get to computers, uh, you can have a, a variety of you know, typesets, you know, the font shapes, you can make it however you want. Uh, So we have quite a number of different font styles now in syllabary. The challenge is making sure that you don't stray too far from the original design so people still can read it, so it's still legible. One of the biggest challenges that we had in that regard was uh, when you're dealing with computers or anything that's on a screen, uh, we had to make sure that the, they call it the UI, the user interface is uh, easy on the eye. And so when they do that, uh, most of the writing on a screen you'll notice It's called sans serif characters, which mean the letters don't have those little uh, feet on them, but they look little marks because those existed initially in print. So when you printed something on page, uh, if you look at an old book, you'll see like, like, for example, the M character might have little feet at the bottom of each of the bars, and that would keep the ink from spreading out or getting all over the place. So that's where those shapes come from. But when you move to a digital screen, you don't need that anymore, so they take those off. and so. When we did that with the first try with making a, a syllabary univ- uh, user interface set, it kind of freaked people out because they weren't used to seeing those little markings anymore. So we had to evolve our community with that.
0: <laughs> Is there anything else that you'd like to tell us about the original exhibit or the intentions behind the original exhibit?
1: Yeah, yeah, there's one some part I forgot. Uh, well, the, the original exhibit at the Heritage Center uh, partially it came about because uh, you know, we were, we were uh, working on a project with Google at the time to ensure that their Android system supported Cherokee syllabary. because in the terms of business, uh, Android is probably the largest segment of uh, smartphones and tablets in the world. And at the time, Cherokee still wasn't fully supported on it. So we worked pretty heavily with Google to ensure that that would happen. So they did eventually include the, the Cherokee font on all their systems. and So now if you go by an Android device, it's, it's going to be on there. Uh, so at that time, you know, that, e- that event or that moment had just occurred. So Google uh, had one of the representatives here in Telequa uh, working with us, and they wanted to go visit the Heritage Center. And so they met the staff and this, this came in conversation of what we were doing and that's kind of where the, really the germ for the exhibit really did come from was talking to this Google representative. And then he went back to his uh, bosses and asked, you know, could we do a partnership here? So they sponsored uh, some of the exhibit itself. And so they provided some funding to get displays and uh, some Chromebooks and things like that to include in the exhibit.
0: Adapting an exhibit that's already been written is a unique struggle because you do have all of the information there ahead of you, but you also have to consider what your new space is going to be and for example, how many panels you're going to be able to include. And one thing that my team wanted to do was to keep as much of the original content and images as possible so that the exhibit wasn't changed or that the purpose behind the exhibit wasn't changed. I would say probably our biggest limitation on adapting this exhibit was space because we felt strongly that this story needed to be told again in this bicentennial year. But we also knew we wouldn't be able to display it at the Heritage Center because it's temporarily closed. So what we did have to do is figure out how we were gonna display such a large and important story with so little space to exhibit it in. In going over all of the content from the original exhibit, my team and I noticed that there was kind of a natural divide in the content where um, there was the syllabary's history prior to Oklahoma statehood and the syllabary's history after Oklahoma statehood. And so we decided that rather than try to fit it all into one limited space, we could just split the content and turn it into two exhibits at two spaces, which is why we now have a two-part exhibit for from Talking Leaves to Pixels. Part one of the exhibit, which is the origins of the syllabary and early printing, is currently on display at the Cherokee National Supreme Court Museum, and this is actually a great place to showcase this part of the story because the Cherokee Advocate Printing Office was also located at the Cherokee National Supreme Court building in the 1800s. Part two of the exhibit, the Cherokee syllabary in the 20th century and beyond, is currently on display at the Cherokee National Prison Museum. The National Prison Museum was also the location of many of the cultural and language programs in the 80s and 90s, including the Jolli Library, so this is a great home for this part of the story. Both museums are open Tuesday through Saturday from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m., and if you'd like to learn more about this and other exhibits, go to VisitCherokeeNation.com. Roy, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing the story of how this exhibit came to be.
1: It was my pleasure.
0: If you would like to learn more about the Cherokee language and the initiatives to preserve it, please visit language.cherokee.org. up?
1: To watch the video version of our podcast and other great series like Cherokee Word of the Week, go to youtube.com slash Nation. Also, be sure to follow Visit Cherokee Nation on Facebook and Instagram for Cherokee
0: cultural and historical content.